This is Matt Connickson. I'm the sales agronomist with CHX Ag Services in Oakley, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Good morning, farm news on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Don Wick with Randy Coonan in studio. We'll have updates from Sierra Doctor and Whitney Pittman. A very mild weather day is on tap. Highs in North Dakota and northwestern Minnesota could approach 45 degrees. Central South Dakota may see temps as high as the mid-60s. Colder weather will return next week with a chance of early week snowfall. Grain traders continue to shift their focus to South America's crop. Bolt Marketing market analyst Dwayne Bussey says weather concerns continue. Argentina's starting to get a little dry. Um... Not starting to, I guess. They've been dry for a long time, have been spood-fed moisture. Now, it's early in their growing season, but you know how the futures market is. I wouldn't be surprised if we come back after the holiday, and if they have a hot, dry forecast, that might be a story we talk about. And they're expecting La Nina to last a little bit longer than we anticipated again, so that's, that's all it takes. And Bussy says there's always a chance for wild market swings. And, and remember, they, they can still end up with a nice, well, they can end up with a huge crop, but it's just if we have a scare here before they, you know, get past pollination and that for corn, things like that, blossoming and beans, this market could take off because we've got to remember our supplies are very tight here. The Biden administration is involved in the contract negotiations between Class 1 railroads and a dozen unions. During a Thanksgiving Day press gaggle, Biden, uh, President Joe Biden said his team has talked with both sides but he has not taken that step. I have not directly engaged yet because they're still talking. The tentative agreement was completed in September. It includes a significant pay increase for the union workers. Quality of life issues, including paid sick leave, are the current obstacles. With a new agreement, uh, and without a new agreement or congressional intervention, a work stoppage could begin as soon as December 9th. The G7 nations are considering a cap on Russian oil prices in retaliation for the war on Ukraine. European Union governments have not agreed on a price, but a cap of 65 to $70 a barrel is being thrown around. Russian President Vladimir Putin said these actions go beyond all market principles and could have grave consequences for the global energy markets. The Black Sea Grain Initiative was extended last week for another 120 days. During that week, no more than five ships per day have left Ukraine. That's half the pace seen in recent weeks and months. The United Nations says shipments slowed due to uncertainty about extending that deal. Poor weather in Istanbul, where the ships are being inspe inspected, is also a problem. A flock of black swan events has led to commodity market wild swings. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Sierra Doctor talks with U.S. Wheat Associates on market highs and lows. U.S. Wheat Associates Vice Chairman Michael Peters says U.S. exports of wheat has increased in current trade allies. World conflicts, weather and drought concerns have helped drive up demand. Uh, wheat exports this year, uh, of course, Mexico is a big export market for us. Uh, Philippines, like South Korea, uh, Japan, and the Latin America have really increased their imports of U.S. wheat. Um, some other countries, um, Iraq has recently tendered some wheat. Uh, Brazil this year has been increasing their wheat imports just because their main market, their uh, main country they import from would be Argentina. They've had a drought, so we've been able to make some headways in those areas. We have a pretty big footprint as far as U.S. wheat, the countries we reach. 
So uh, our main goals there are to maintain or increase with those countries. Peters expects wheat volatility to remain at least through the end of the year. I would say that volatility is going to increase, or not necessarily increase, but stay the same. Um, as far as there is the conflict with the Russian Ukraine and the weather right now, the, the drought across the U.S. and some other countries, um, Australia even, I believe, you know, is having some issues with their crops. So uh, as long as you have those issues, the volatility is going to be there. It just, it seems like it's so much more than it was years ago. So it makes it a little tough to uh, market your crop as far as from the farmer standpoint, but it also does create some opportunities. So you may have to be looking a year or two out and, and kind of do some things. So, so like I said, there's, it's a challenge, but also with challenge comes opportunities. Reporting agriculture's business, I'm Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network. For more information, go to the Red River Farm Network uh, website, visit Facebook, Twitter. You can also find stories, podcasts, and more at rrfn.com. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Farm news on the Red River Farm Network. A total of 50.54 million birds have been lost due to highly pathogenic avian influenza this year. That breaks the previous record set in 2015. Seven years later, 30% of the cases were traced to birds. That compares to 85% this year. Statistics Canada reporting the canola crush totaling more than 885,000 metric tons in October. That's the largest monthly crush in a year and a half. Oil content at 41.4% is down from the five-year average of nearly 43%. University of Nebraska-Lincoln Assistant Professor in Livestock Marketing and Risk Management, Elliot Dennis, says distillers' dried grains are a good feed source. However, the cost of distillers often offsets the benefits of the higher crude protein. When we talk about even distillers being higher than the price of corn, really what we're talking about is, you know, is that, you know, whatever, 20% uh, premium that we may be paying for distillers, is that offset by some of the performance benefits that we tend to see with distillers? We kind of show at different price ratios and, and different corn prices, what is that optimal inclusion? Or in other words, what is that inclusion that minimizes the total feeding cost for an animal, like a 600 weight or an 800 weight calf that comes in? So that ratio is actually really fluid on how much we should be feeding. Dennis says the corn market has changed wildly in recent years, but he still recommends producers take a look at the pros and cons of distillers versus corn. COVID changed the market in that really post-2010 uh, when we started to take out a lot of corn oil that it's, that it's changed the benefit of distillers. And what I really focus that really during COVID there, there was an issue, but really pre-COVID, you know, this hasn't changed a ton. In some cases, it, it has. You know, for instance, distillers is becoming a little bit more expensive, dry, dry distillers. But that's just because it's a lot more transportable. Um, and we have a lot of Chinese buying uh, up our distillers grains right now. So, But, you know, for people who are feeding wet or modified, you know, the markets hasn't changed dramatically. Growth Energy Vice President of Regulatory Affairs, Chris Bliley, says year-round access of E15 is still on Growth Energy's radar. So we've been a strong supporter of providing year-round access for E15 for a long time. We're basically seeking any solution that moves forward. Ultimately, we'd like to see a national solution. Uh, we saw the benefits of E15 this summer with consumers saving up to, you know, a dollar in some locations, on average 16 cents a gallon across the country, and an increase of sales of 30 
25%. Ultimately, if we move to national E15, we could save consumers more than $20 billion, create nearly 200,000 more jobs, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions to the, the equivalent of taking nearly 4 million cars off the road. And Bliley says year-round E15 will help grow demand for commodities and corn uh, growers' corn. Increased, uh, increased uh, biofuel blends across the country continues to uh, benefits farmers with additional uptake of corn and, and sorghum. And so, you know, nationwide, if we, we were able to, you know, if E15 were our fuel nationwide, that's an additional six to seven billion gallons of fuel. That's two, two and a half billion bushels of uh, corn and sorghum. So, tremendous opportunity there. The number of farm workers hired in October was up 2% from the same month last year. In the Northern Plains region, which includes North Dakota and South Dakota, farms paid their hired workers an average of $18.22 per hour. That's up 6% from one year earlier. The Lake region, which includes Minnesota, had an average wage rate of $18.83 per hour. That's $2.26 above October of 2021. Minnesota exports were a record high $7.3 billion in the third quarter. That's up $1.6 billion from the same quarter last year and in 2021. The list includes agriculture, manufacturing, and mining products. Cereal grains sales were up more than 300%. Those sales were driven by an increase in corn sales to Canada and wheat sales to Indonesia, Italy, and Yemen. Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Steve Grove said this milestone puts Minnesota's economy on the national radar. The World Trade Organization's Ag Committee has established a strategy to address hunger, especially in the least developed countries. Future discussions will center on market access, financing food purchases, and the strength of farm production worldwide. Specific policies are being reviewed, including the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. This is the Red River Farm Network. Good morning. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Working with government agencies is a necessary part of farming and ranching. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman had a chance to catch up with the Environmental Protection Agency about the work they do and the goal of the agency. We hear the importance of following label instructions on the chemicals used to grow crops all the time. Assistant Administrator of the Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention with the EPA, Michal Friedhoff, says the EPA's role is truly to try to help farmers stay safe and be able to implement safe and reliable chemical usage on their farms. What we really do is try to make sure that the pesticide can be used safely and that we're following the science and the law when we make our decisions. What we also really strive to do is make sure that the decisions we make that, that might impose mitigations or restrictions on the way that a pesticide can be used actually work in the real world and are implementable for farmers because that's really important. Their continued availability is a big concern and what that means is that our decisions have to be protective. They have to follow the law. They have to withstand legal scrutiny so they're not taken to court and thrown out right in the middle of a growing season. Friedhoff says input from those in the field is very important to what they do. What we really look for at EPA is input. So if there's something that we propose that farmers feel can't be implemented or won't really work on the ground and in the real world the way we expect it to, what we'd really welcome is to hear that and to get that written feedback that, that specifically tells us why it won't work and what might work differently. So we're, we're, we're really 
open, you know, our doors are open to stakeholder input, and we really use that input to, to make better decisions going forward. Reporting for the Red River Farm Network, I'm Whitney Pittman. Crop input costs are up significantly this fall. FMC Regional Technical Manager Gail Stratman says that demands a fresh approach to weed control. Many of these post-emergence herbicides, you know, the programs that are that are based around, you know, whether it's dicamba or or glufosinate or glyphosate, the cost of those products has risen dramatically. Sometimes, you know, two or three x in many of those cases. So that has put a, a, a lot more expense in that program where you're really relying on those post-emergence herbicides. So you got to take a step back and really think, how do I get the most value? How do I get the most bang for the for the for the dollar I'm spending. That puts more focus on the use of residual herbicides up front. Stratman says an overlapping strategy can eliminate one to two trips across the field. You know, they always say the easiest weed to control is the one that never comes up. And so using those strong residual herbicides um, that can give us that length of control, again, on some of those key weed species like the water hemp and the kochia, the palmer amaranth, morning glories, trying to keep those uh, controlled for that first you know, 30 to 60 days is, is really critical in, in not only preserving yield potential, but also uh, helping manage weed resistance and say ultimately saving you money by, by avoiding those multiple post-emergence trips that, uh, that occur when you let those weeds get away from you. This is the Red River Farm Network.